Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to episode 11 of The Milkman of St. Gaffs, a serialized podcast. First off, I'd like to thank you all for your patience. It's been a couple of months since the last episode because of school closures and other COVID-related madness. But we're back on schedule and you can expect new episodes every two weeks. A couple of announcements. First, the Milkman of St. Gaffs has received a grant from the Canada Council for the Arts that will help ensure the podcast's longevity, so a very big thank you to them. Also, beginning next week, I will be putting out a patron-only podcast through Patreon called Once Out of Nature. This will be set in the same world as this podcast, but will focus on other characters a few years in the future. That will be available to patrons at the Fly Sprayer level and up, and all patrons will continue to get ad-free episodes. I'd also like to say a big thank you to new patrons, Stephanie Leahy, Fly Sprayer, and Stephanie Coons, Fly Sprayer. And with that, let's get to the episode. The title is Confession. It's time for The Milkman of St. Gaffs, starring Howie the Milkman. I opened my eyes. It was dark. It stank of fish and burnt wood. I heard whispers. Water. My eyes got used to the dark. I was in the hold of some rotting ship. Parts of it were blackened like there'd been a fire. A dim red light came in through a portal. I took a step. The floor was covered with something wet, chunky. It got a bit brighter inside, and I looked down. It was all guts from some large creature, piles of white fat. There were dead eyeballs about the size of my fist, 
scattered around, and they were all looking at me. I was frozen on the spot. It got brighter still. Figures in tattered, hooded robes were closing in all around me, speaking, but I couldn't understand what they were saying. A couple had lanterns. They were shuffling and moving closer. One with a lantern got really close. I was shaking. The hood slipped off the figure. A rotting cow's face grinning at me. I pushed it aside and ran through the slop to the ladder. I pulled myself up onto the deck. I was alone. The water was still and there was a dense reddish fog all around. I felt someone watching me. I turned around. I couldn't make out what was there. Something huge looking down at me. Maybe a face examining me. I could see through the fog round, gold-rimmed spectacles. The image burned itself into my brain. And then I woke up in my bed. That was a couple of nights ago. I should have been sleeping, probably, but tomorrow is Sunday, and I'll sleep in if I can. It was around midnight. I was up on the roof of my building, looking out over the sea. Someone sometime had put an old couch up here. It was pretty shabby from sitting out in the rain and the mist. But I felt like a king up there, looking out over my domain. I'd never noticed how much faster the red moon was than the white one. There was a breeze here, but out at sea, the wind howled, and I was mesmerized by the white caps. I felt like I was the only person in the world here, like the stars were just there for me and no one else, like the moons were racing inside of me instead of way up there like the waves were crashing somewhere in my chest. Something kept nagging at me in the back of my stomach. I wasn't quite sure what it was. But the weather was starting to get warmer, and I felt like it was the end of one thing and the beginning of another, like I was about to strike out on a new direction and had important decisions to think about. I wished I had a pipe like Travis. I thought it would help me to be contemplative. I could almost smell smoke from his pipe. I went back with my mind over the past few months here on St. Gaffs, joining the milkmen, learning the ropes, and becoming a real professional. I thought about hearing Corwin's speeches for the first time, about my responsibility to the war effort, and about interrogating Travis, about Dr. Barrett trying to help me with my spells, and everything I'd seen beneath the sea and under the ground, about the dead birds I'd let loose on the town. I thought about Mr. Greenwood trying to fix the old radio. I still wish that I had one that worked. I remembered meeting Stormy and winning her heart. I thought about lying in her arms and the smell of blue powder. I replayed my daydreams in my mind, about driving through the hills and imagining having a ranch with Stormy one day, 
with frilly white things covering the windows, or maybe being a fisherman like Travis and watching the sunset over the sea with Stormy, just sitting quietly there. It felt like a future I might actually have. But still, that nagging feeling kept on. I couldn't push out the sound of Mr. Pyman moaning and banging his head against the pole he was tied to. I saw the police tossing his corpse into the harbor. I saw Billings dead on the ground with my personnel file. McMurdle lying in the doctor's house with tubes going down his throat. And then Florsham. I couldn't help but feel that somehow I was responsible for what happened to him. It was a week ago now that I'd found him, all torn apart by animals in the woods. I saw Stormy's confused face when I tried to explain why there was blood all over the rug and why we didn't need to bring it back to town anymore. I'd been trying my hardest to swallow all those bad feelings, those scenes of death and blood and curdled milk, to push them out so I could just concentrate on the good things and the bright path that I hoped lay ahead. But I hated lying to Stormy, even if the lies were a matter of national security. I tried to keep reminding myself that I had a duty to the country and to the milkmen. But it was starting to dawn on me that some of the things the milkmen did didn't seem quite right. I couldn't understand why they had to do the things they were doing underground. I thought maybe it was time to tell Stormy about the things I'd seen. And despite Dr. Barrett's efforts, I still didn't understand why I kept having those episodes or what they really meant. The doctor told me that probably all these visions were just because of my bad childhood and that once we understood the cause, the hallucinations would just fall away like a knot being untied. But here I was, a good job, a beautiful girlfriend, promotions on the horizon, but still the visions came, and after what I'd seen underground, I couldn't believe what the doctor told me anymore. I'd been doing some real soul-searching. Last night, I'd made the decision to go talk to Father Whelan, since he's such a learned man. It was just around sunset, and I'd had some dinner. I was a little nervous and didn't know quite what I was going to say, or if I would tell him everything. But partly, I just wanted to get all this weight off my chest. No one was in the church. No one except Oscar, the caretaker. Everyone liked Oscar because he was always smiling and kept to himself. He was sweeping when he saw me. Is Father Whelan here? Oh yes, doing a private confession in the back office. I decided to wait and sat on a pew. I looked up at the glowing whale bones arching across the ceiling. A feeling of peace came over me. I'd never just sat in a church before, but sitting there, I decided I would do it more often. Above the pulpit was one of those paintings they paint right into the wet plaster on the wall. It was the great whaler in his little boat looking out over the sea. I wondered how one man in such a small boat could catch such huge whales and bring them into shore. But I guess that was one of those mysteries you're not supposed to understand. He should be out soon, Oscar said. Then he left, 
I guess to his cabin behind the church. I was getting bored waiting, so I went up to the pulpit and pretended to be a preacher, waving my arms and pointing at imaginary people in the pews, warning them of the black ooze they'd be wallowing in if they didn't mend their ways. Then a door closed somewhere behind me, and before I could get down, Mrs. Noseworthy wandered into the nave. Howie Coxwell, get down. You have no business being up there. So Sorry, miss. I scrambled down. And she just walked out the door. Then Father Whelan came out. When he saw me, he turned all red, and his hair was ruffled. He buttoned up the top button on his frock. I was just giving Mrs. Noseworthy a confession. Oscar mentioned, What can I do for you, Howie? He wiped his mouth really vigorously with the back of his hand. I need a confession, too. He gave me a strange sort of nervous look, then straightened himself. Of, of course. Why don't you go in and I'll be there in a moment? He pointed to a confessional off to the side. I went into one little room with a screen in it. A minute later, Father Whelan sat down on the other side. I could hear him unwrapping something, and the smell of shrimp wafted in. I hope you don't mind. I haven't had any dinner yet. So what did you want to confess, my son? Well, Father, could I ask a question first? How did the whaler catch those huge whales in just that little boat? It's better to think of these things as allegories, Howie. Allegories? Um, a lot of the stories in the great book are, are quite old. Older even than our religion. Over time, they were incorporated and amalgamated together into the text we have now. You mean the great whaler didn't write the book? The latest scholarship, at least when I was at the seminary, which was quite a few years ago now, believes that there are several layers to the text, some older parts and some newer parts, and that they were brought together over quite a number of years by various editors. But doesn't that mean that the great book isn't true? N no, no, Howie, my son. We believe that the text, the, ed the editors, were inspired by the great whaler, that he guided them until they had the perfect text. A, a lot of work has gone into piecing together the history of the text. It's quite interesting, really. This was all very confusing to me, so I changed the subject. What we talk about here is secret, right? And you can't tell anyone? Of course, my son. Father, I believe that I've been having visions of the underworld, and I think I may have actually gone down there. Sometimes it seems like creatures follow me and make me do things, awful things. Oh, what sort of things? It's like I'm sleepwalking. I... Have you spoken to Dr. Barrett about this? It sounds like you might have a medical condition. So you don't think it's possible that I'm really in contact with something? What if I think I saw the Bogarich? Well, I wouldn't want to rule anything out, but... We believe the time of miracles has ceased. For us, the stories about these creatures... It's best to think of them as guides to moral behavior. 
In the past, when people weren't as well educated as they are now, ordinary folks needed to believe in monsters and angels to help them live the right way. Father Whelan, what if I, I know that I've gone underground and seen ho horrible things for real? Howie, going underground is extremely dangerous and against the law and a sin. How did you get underground? I started to get nervous that maybe the confessional wasn't as secret as I thought. You know, Father, maybe you're right. Maybe it was just bad dreams, and I should go see Dr. Barrett about it. I think that's very sensible of you, my son. And remember, if you ever need to talk about anything, anything at all, I'm always here to listen. I was pretty disappointed. And it occurred to me that something fishy was going on between Father Whelan and Mrs. Noseworthy. And he's such a pillar of the community. And she's married too. But maybe my imagination was running wild again. Back on the roof, I looked out over the moored ships and the red stars and thought about the barely known lands on the other side of the ocean. I saw a mangy, wild dog strolling along the pier. He looked like he had holes in his skin, and I couldn't be sure I wasn't imagining things. But something about watching him as he stopped and scratched for fleas made me want more and more to run to Stormy and tell her everything. Then, the blood ran from my face as I realized with horror I'd told Travis I was going to meet him this morning before church, just at the crack of dawn out at his place so I wouldn't be able to sleep in at all. It could only have been a bit past midnight, I hoped, and I could sleep a few hours at least. But I was feeling a lot better after deciding to spill the beans to Stormy. And I could talk to Travis too. He was always trying to talk to me about these things. Maybe it was time to get his advice too. Feeling pretty good about my decision, I got up and looked out over the water and said right out loud, Thank you, my two moons and millions of stars, for helping me this night. But then the hair on the back of my neck pricked up, and my vision narrowed when I heard someone snickering behind me. I felt like a big bullseye was suddenly on my back, and I was afraid to turn around, but I forced myself. And there was Inspector Mowbray standing there with her long black coat, smoking a pipe. What are you doing here? How did you get up here? I followed you up here because I have more questions for you, but then I saw that you were having a moment, so I decided to wait. That's really weird, Inspector, if you don't mind me saying so. Is it? Yes, but anyways, I can't answer questions now. I have to go to sleep. Nonsense. We'll go to your room and you can make me some tea. I'm afraid I can't make you any tea. I don't have any, and my stove's out anyways. I checked your cupboard, Howie. I know you have tea, and I lit the stove before coming up here. I didn't know what to say. Hey, that's an invasion of my privacy. She just turned around and opened the door to the stairwell. Let's go, Howie. It's getting cold out here. Or we could go to the station. 
I know about your little trip up north right after Professor Florsham's disappearance. I've got a pretty good idea what happened. So let's just have that chat, shall we? I sat on the bed, and she sat on the chair. We faced each other, just a few feet apart. I could smell the tobacco on her breath. She had eyes like a hawk, and it felt like she noticed and recorded every little twitch or movement of my face. I'm going to tell you some things, Mr. Coxwell, and I don't want you to interrupt me. The National Police Bureau have reason to believe that the milkmen, both here on St. Gaff's and throughout the country, are forming into an intelligence-gathering organization. It is our belief that their activities are not sanctioned by the central government. It is further our belief that the milkmen are in league with nefarious underworld elements. As yet, we do not have a full picture of their organizational structure or their precise aims. I know that they have been grooming you for a higher position in the organization, and I'm here to offer you a way out. But no, but I do not say anything. We have intelligence that suggests the milkmen make excursions underground, which, as you know, is absolutely forbidden. Mr. Coxwell, I know what happened to Professor Florsham. I know why you went north. And I know Miss Greenwood was with you. No, Stormy did- Do not speak. Proving what you've done would be exceedingly easy. You'll be sent to the penal island and you will not return. Miss Greenwood is clearly an, an accessory and will meet the same fate. Unless you are willing to report back to us on what goes on inside the milk station. It is the NPB's belief, at this time, that Corwin was sent here to set up the electric thermalizer as a weapon. We do not know the nature of this weapon, or who it will be directed against. The milkmen, Howie, are not who you think they are. You have an opportunity here, Mr. Coxwell. You can do your country a great service, and at the same time, you can save yourself and Miss Greenwood from a truly terrible fate. We are prepared to offer you protection. We can set you and Miss Greenwood up, if you decide to marry, on a farm in Buckle. You'd like that, wouldn't you, Mr. Coxwell? No, do not speak. There is no need to respond. I realize this is a lot to take in. Reflect on what I've said. The correct path should be obvious. I want your answer in 24 hours. If I do not hear from you, you and Miss Greenwood will be arrested. Do not think about trying to flee the island. We've instructed the ferry not to allow you on board. I'll expect to hear from you tomorrow. And one last thing before I go. I'd like you to ask yourself, Mr. Coxwell, why the milkmen are so interested in you. Do you really think it's because you're a good worker? What do you think it is they really want from you? And with that, she left. Thank you for listening.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.